so today we're talking about the second part of Secret Wars 2, and for research, I spent some time last week reading Jim Shooter's old blog at jimshooter.com. Uh, not that I need much of an excuse to like read about 1980s Marvel comics, but I wanted to see if he'd written anything about like what was going through his head while writing Secret Wars 2. You would actually be surprised to find out there's very little about Secret Wars 2, and I don't know if that's you never got around to it mm-hmm. or that's not something we wish to talk about but yeah but uh actually a lot of it is it's you know it's sort of neat it's like we talked in previous episodes about how he's a pretty controversial figure and a lot of people around the marvel offices had you know some conflicts with him and he tells sort of his side of various stories that you've maybe heard over the years or in sean howe's uh, marvel comics the untold story one of the things that like we've talked about like the official version of the story is that he was fired from marvel for getting disagreements with everybody he alleges that like right. he was taking on some like corporate malfeasance or bad investing practices or whatever so like mm. if you want to hear an opposing viewpoint to anything that we've said um that's an option but while i was reading through it i realized that like all my reading about shooter era marvel and its controversy is, is basically just me reading about like 30 some year old office gossip it's just just an office that i happen to be interested in uh, I mean, there are, there are worse ways to spend your time, <laughs> like like reading Secret Wars too. Yeah. Hi, I'm Ryan McClure. And I'm Justin Zyduck. And welcome to Indefensible Inc., the podcast where we take a closer look at some notoriously and allegedly terrible comics and comic runs. So today we're going to be discussing issues 5 through 9 of 1985's Marvel Superhero Secret Wars 2, written by Jim Shooter with pencils by Al Milgram, inks by Steve Laia-Loa, and colors by Christy Scheel and various others. Uh, so to catch you up... We start off the first part of Secret Wars 2 with the all-powerful being the Beyonder appearing on Earth. Uh, He is the character responsible for whisking tons of Marvel heroes and villains away to fight in the first Secret Wars. And he wants to know more about human existence. So he befriends a former supervillain, Owen Reese, the Molecule Man, who has settled down into a comfortable suburban life with his girlfriend, Marsha Rosenberg, formerly known as Volcana. Through conversations with Owen and other Marvel characters like Spider-Man, Mr. Fantastic, and Luke Cage, Beyonder tries to learn about life on Earth, particularly human desire, which he sees as the animating force behind most of human existence. So this leads to about a billion fish-out-of-water scenes where he does wacky things like eat a glass soda bottle or sleep on a hotel floor instead of a bed and so on and so on. To that end, in terms of fulfilling his desires, he also tries many other things like he accumulates countless earthly riches and consumer goods. He tries to acquire power by taking over the Earth and having all its leaders submit to him. Tries to find love by using his reality-shaping powers to, quote, woo Dazzler, uh, more more like manipulate her. And then 
Uh, most of these things are undone by the end of each issue. So, for example, the leaders of Earth are no longer bowing down to him. Also crucial, he adopts 80s fashion trends, so he's rocking a perm and a big shoulder-padded suit. And along the way, he has constant run-ins with countless members of the Marvel Universe. Uh, this series was tying in with about 30-plus issues of different Marvel comics. And so la when we last left our buddy the Beyonder, he had just, just tried to get Dazzler to fall in love with him unsuccessfully. So issue five opens up with the Beyonder, still reeling from his breakup, or whatever you want to call that, with Dazzler, is walking on some railroad tracks, um, his jacket wistfully slung over his shoulder, singing Ain't No Sunshine to himself. Suddenly, a train bears down on him, and moments from impact, the Beyonder points his finger at the speeding engine and mentally dismantles every component. But the captions assure us that he relents at the last second and lets the passengers land gently, um, even though they're stranded out here in the middle of nowhere with no ride. Um, the captions say, His life is screwed up, yanked off the path he intended by a force beyond his control. Why shouldn't theirs be too? And this is sort of in the tradition of um, a kind of recurring motif in Jim Shooter's work of like this lonely god figure. You have an individual who was cursed to wield enormous power and is a really nice guy if you give him the chance, but the heroes stop him and sort of realize like, oh, all he wanted to do was help. Um, right. Could be, has been read by some people over the years as semi-autobiographical as editor-in-chief of Marvel. It's like our... Uh... Our guy, Grand Inquisitor Lorca in Warriors yeah. of Plasm. Yeah, it definitely, yeah, I mean, you definitely see this all the time of, like, I have a lot of power, but people don't like me, but I'm trying to, I think I'm doing the right thing, even though it seems like yeah. it's wrong, but uh, <laughs> the Beyonder walks away, but a teenage girl chases him and asks him if he's a mutant, because she is a mutant and is running away because she has heard about a school in upstate New York that takes mutants, which we as comic readers understand to be the Xavier School for Gifted Youngsters. We learn that the girl is named Tabitha, but everyone calls her Boom Boom. So that's right, X-Force readers. This is the first appearance of Tabitha Smith, a.k.a. Boom Boom, a.k.a. Boomer, a.k.a. Meltdown. Uh, she's wearing what looks an awful lot like Cyclops' visor, but it's just supposed to be like 80s new wave kind of fashion, like their sunglasses. Um, she takes down her shades to reveal that she has a black eye because when her parents found out she was a mutant, her dad apparently hit her, hence the running away. And when she talks about her parents, uh, she says, of course, they've always been appalled by me. I was always too weird to suit them. Girls just want to have fun, you know? Uh, so I kind of like the implication here that people in the 80s would just reference music videos as shorthand to describe a situation they're in, like... It was a real, we're not going to take it situation, you know? <laughs> yeah, there were, uh, the, the Avengers are talking about the Beyonder going like, well, you know, everybody wants to rule the world. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so Boom Boom demonstrates her powers. So if you're not familiar with the character, she creates little, like, balls or globes or pods of energy, which are essentially time bombs that explode after a set amount of time. Uh, they're in the woods, so they start a weenie roast and start barning over um, a little campfire they've or campsite they've made, over what they have in common. Uh, the Beyonder's been rejected by Dazzler, boom boom, by her parents, so they have some common ground there. 
the Beyonder starts to get mopey and asks what the point of anything is, and maybe he should go back to where he comes from, where, no quote, no desire can haunt me. Boom Boom tells him he can't check out, and that some of her friends did. So, like, throughout the issue, they sort of elliptically allude several times to suicide without calling it suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, here they call it, like, one. I had one friend who took the quick way out and a bunch who vegged out on drugs and stuff, which you would expect to be the, you know, sort of uh, expected 1980s anti-drug message, except that I would point out that in issue three for last episode, the Beyonder was running cocaine for his mobster buddy, Vinny, so, like, he is part of the problem, I think, mm-hmm. there. Uh, but I guess the the deal is that like it's apparently awesome and lucrative to be on the supply side of drugs, but don't be on the don't be on the consumer end. Yes, be a buyer and not and, a user. Yeah, and does this cause any introspection on the part of the Beyonder? No, uh, no, no. <laughs> no, nothing causes everything is. It's funny because like everything is introspection except like the things that you think you should think twice about. Mm-hmm. He's mostly introspective about like the same five points over and over and over again. <laughs> mm-hmm. but, uh, so the Beyonder returns to his home dimension, but um, while he's in this sort of shapeless void, he still desires Earth consumer goods and the Dazzler. So he starts thinking about like, well, I'll make, I'll just you know create blenders and VCRs and stuff, and then his pants explode, <laughs> and he realizes that Boom Boom planted a time bomb in his pocket as a prank. He returns to Earth and assures Boom Boom that he's not mad. Um, he even heals her black eye and drives her to the X-Mansion to drop her off. But when they open the door, the X-Men see the Beyonder in the car and attack him. We get a very brief fight sequence, but the Beyonder gets bored and takes off because, as has been established, you really can't fight the Beyonder. But Boom Boom, this really makes her depressed. The Beyonder, who she's grown close to, has apparently abandoned her too. Um, she sets a time bomb for herself and hugs it, which is um, a, you know, an apparent suicide attempt. But the Beyonder prevents this. He says, you're not ready to quit, I can tell. So again, not suicide, it's quote-unquote quit. Yeah, yeah. They uh, they get in the car and they drive through space, like the car is, has a pocket of air around it or whatever, <laughs> to the headquarters of the Celestials, which are Jack Kirby's race of um, enormous space gods that are working behind the scenes of the universe all the time and Various mysterious ways. Um, and there's kind of a cool idea here that prefigures um, Nowhere in, you know, K-N-O-W where mm-hmm. in Guardians of the Galaxy where the Celestials are sort of cosmic giants who remain motionless in this world. And so a sort of tourist industry has sprung up around them. At this point, I was just so happy, like, he was out there experiencing this cosmic realm rather than, like, trying to figure out how a doorknob works or something <laughs> for... Hanging around the Earth. Molecule Man's apartment. Mm-hmm. It's like, give me 20 more panels of that rather than <laughs> the usual. Yeah. So the Beyonder challenges these space gods. He says if they're so tough, they should stop him from destroying the universe. And they all have a fight, and the Beyonder wins, which is, again, like, establishes that he's perhaps the most powerful Marvel being in creation. Boom Boom is pretty freaked out by this. Uh, the Beyonder tries to use his powers to make her happy, you know, make her older, so like an adult, get rid of her powers, but this only upsets her more, and he teleports her away, because he has no emotional intelligence for this sort of thing. This bums him out again, so he goes to hang out in his mansion, and because he has a mansion from all the wonderful drug money, and <laughs> listens to records. And Dazzler's album is on the stereo, which depresses him even more. 
Um, I should have mentioned this issue was titled Despair. And um, at this point, I'm sort of surprised at how much real estate this, like, epic line-wide crossover is giving to the Beyonder is just bummed that the that Dazzler is not into him. <laughs> like, like imagine, like, if like the next crisis thing at, at DC, like, a quarter of the main series involved, like, Darkseid sort of moping around his castle, like really depressed that the Black Canary is not into him. Eh, you say that like it's a bad thing, but I'm <laughs> kind of intrigued now. Yeah, see him, like, you know, sitting on his bed, kind of kicking his, you know, kicking his legs, thinking about her, scrolling mm-hmm. through her Instagram. <laughs> yeah, yeah, actually, this is, it's, I'm going to put this in the in the pitch, the pitch journal. Okay. <laughs> um, but back on Earth, Boom Boom is concerned about the Beyonder and what he can do, so uh, she calls up the Avengers hotline and narcs on him. Yeah, and one thing that this moment um, drew my attention to was the art we've talked about before is really rushed in the series. And for the most part, you can tell what's happening. But here, it looks like she blows up the payphone at first like, accidentally. Uh, but then it, I guess it's uh, supposed to be that she like blew up the change section to get coins out of it. But huh. you cannot tell that at at first yeah for all the interest and clarity and stuff it's i think it's like you said it just it just so rushed a lot of the time it came in like there's no room to to fix that Mm -hmm. boom boom lures uh the beyonder to the campsite where they first met and they reunite and the beyonder seems to have found something he says you know there really is no turning back no way to take a rain check there's no way to unlive what you've lived or unfeel what you felt you have to go on trying or collapse and die, quick or slow. I was almost ready to, you know, quit. Just before you called. I'm glad you did. You're all I have left. So, um, first of all, the reason that there is a secret war is six, seven, and eight, and nine after this is because um, Boom Boom called him. Yeah, yeah. Shame. But, yeah, I, I think I think this scene is most to be... So, like, he's got this, like, really strong attach- attachment to this teenage girl. But I do think it's supposed to be innocent here and not, like, a creepy thing right yeah yeah that was the the vibe i got he's maybe he's learned a little bit from his creepy adventures in the previous issue <laughs> uh the avengers the west coast avengers the fantastic four and doctor strange ambush him they hit him with everything they got but he's not fighting back so captain america says to hold off and tries to reason with him he says you know why don't you come back where you came from uh, but the beyonder says he's tried that so he wanders off and just like that, the fight is over, and Iron Man asks uh, if they should go after him. Captain America says no. They just have to hope that he wanders home. Again, like, the the superheroes are being really inconsistent about how much of a threat this guy is. Like, I imagine it takes some doing to get, like, all the Avengers and all the West Coast Avengers and the Fantastic Four and, like, Doctor Strange all in a room and, like, hey, let's all get together at this time in this forest. Mm-hmm. But then it's like, oh, he's not fighting back? Well, I'm sure it'll be okay. Let's let's go home. Like they had really no no plan except for like fight him. <laughs> yeah, it's maybe it says something about me, but every time I'm like kill him, kill right. him. <laughs> yeah. Um and that will be a a point of contention later on in the series. But mm-hmm. uh yeah, that's where this issue ends. Just everybody says let him go. Let's see what the wacky beyonder gets up to next. Uh, Doctor Strange suggests that the girl Tabitha could tell them more about the Beyonder state of mind, but Reed Richards says she's slipped away in the confusion. Again, it's a little weird that you have like 
all of Earth's like most powerful superheroes like right mm-hmm. here, and like a teenage girl has been like missing for five minutes in the woods, and they're like, well, nothing we can do about that. Yeah, yeah, I think it's like a it's damning commentary on how young people can kind of slip through the cracks <laughs> of our our society. Yeah. So in issue six, uh, the Beyonder has just purchased property in the, in the small town of Sparta, Illinois, and is building a giant futuristic Jack Kirby-esque headquarters there. A reporter at the local newspaper named Dave notices the building and decides to investigate. He's portrayed as like the only guy who seems to notice that this enormous sinister complex is appearing overnight. Um, but I guess maybe that's a common enough thing in the Marvel universe, right? That like in small towns, there's like this big, scary industrial complex that's probably being used by the serpent society or something. And everybody's like, Oh, it's just that, that place, you know, on the edge of town. Yeah. Um, he's also, and this is like a weird detail, but he is portrayed as a comics fan in this, in this issue. Like he goes to like the news vendor and he's like, Oh, I got your latest issues. And while he's waiting for the beyonder to show up, he's reading an issue of, I think it's new mutants. And so, like, mm-hmm. I don't know if he's supposed to be, like, a like represent somebody, like Thundersword in issue one, or if it's a parody of something or, or what, but... Yeah, I and mean, he look, kind of looks weirdly like the uh, the Steve Gerber uh, analog in, in issue one. So yeah, it's... he's got kind of, you know, longish hair and glasses and a beard, and, like, that's sort of, you know, he's, like, sort of like every comics writer at that time looked like mm-hmm. that. So I don't know if he's... He could be anybody. You will have no answers yeah. here. Yeah. Well, so while we ponder and try to figure out who Dave might be a stand-in for, uh, the Beyonder is watching a monitor where the child superhero team known as Power Pack are in danger. So he zips out to help them and leaves quickly after saving the day. Um, when he returns... Dave is waiting for him and wants to know all about the Beyonder and his past. So the Beyonder uh, uses a device called the Mento Projector to project his memories. Uh, It does not, unfortunately, dispense breath mints to (laughs) Dave. And he recounts and summarizes where he came from. And also a recent encounter he had with Doctor Strange. And so at that point, the Beyonder was in despair after not being able to fulfill his desire. So he went to Doctor Strange, who told him he should become a, quote, champion of life, facing off against the forces of death. Uh, so Beyonder is impressed by Dave's gumption and, <laughs> and hires him as his kind of assistant to run his giant headquarters and this organization that kind of sprung up. Yeah, and it's mentioned that um, the Beyonder sort of reflects that he's sort of, he doesn't maybe technically need a person to do that for him, but he's sort of doing this more for Dave's sake because Dave seems to lack purpose, um, which is actually some, like, surprising, like, emotional intelligence and generosity from uh, the Beyonder. But mm-hmm. it seems like a breakthrough, but it's it's not. We'll... <laughs> yeah, it'll be undone, like, a few issues later, yep. a few panels later. Um, so then Beyonder starts flying around the world, saving lives. Uh, we see him stopping a tsunami and going to presumably 
rescue people from an active volcano. Uh, elsewhere, we get more um, panels with Owen Reese and Marsha hanging out. Owen's reading about the Beyonder. And suddenly a character known as Uatu the Watcher teleports into their home. We've talked about some of the like jokes that sort of fall flat in the series, but one thing that I actually did think, one sequence that I did think was funny is they're just sort of sitting in their living room and all of a sudden the Molecule Man, because he has all these powers, like senses that Uatu is in there invisibly and like yells at him to come out. Yeah, Uatu's just been hanging out in the kitchen, like <laughs> going through the fridge in the meantime, waiting yeah. for the right moment. Yeah, he, uh, but he, if he, he he observes that the the mayonnaise is expired, but he's pledged not to interfere. <laughs> yeah, so the Watcher um, is uh, if you're not familiar with the Watchers, they're a cosmic race who observe important events in the universe, and as other people have pointed out many times, they are sworn to just watch and not get involved. But Uatu at least always ends up getting involved. He says he's been watching Owen's life the whole time as Owen's developed his powers and grown more powerful and then had his life changed. And now he and the Watchers have come to the conclusion that Owen's the only one who can stop the Beyonder. Uh, but Owen isn't interested in being a hero. He's like, find someone else to do this. So the Watcher leaves. Meanwhile, Mr. Fantastic and Captain America show up at the Beyonder's headquarters and they make the argument to him that if he keeps going around and kind of saving everybody, their lives are going to start revolving around him and they're going to become reliant on him. Uh, so Captain America gives them a little speech and says, do you understand the importance of freedom? There's something disconcerting about you taking care of everyone on the planet, something re reminiscent of Big Brother watching. Freedom is the most precious thing a man can have, Beyonder. It must not be compromised. Which kind of seems like a weird response since all that Beyonder has been doing this issue is kind of rescuing people from like natural disasters like tsunamis and volcanoes so it's like people need the freedom to die from tidal waves and lava flows yeah and like the Avengers will do that same thing you know like, like mm -hmm. if there's if there's a natural disaster like the, the Avengers if they're in the area will take care of that for you well, it's, it's just like the nanny state stepping in to stop people from dying in earthquakes. Yeah, well, it may, may, maybe off-panel, the Beyonder's been uh, taking away people's sugary, large drinks. Damn you, Beyonder. <laughs> uh, so Beyonder resists at first, but then he kind of, kind of seems to take it to heart. He goes to a to give a press conference, and he says, I just want to help mankind and other kinds not become a big brother or yeah. um, ah Reagan's America. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's, he's uh, really hung up on the big brother idea. Mm -hmm. No big governments, no big beyonder <laughs> at the, so at the same press conference, beyonder announces he's going to vanquish death. So meanwhile, we cut to a quote, Stygian realm where souls of men trapped between their sojourns in sheaths of flesh and the ultimate unbeing suffer tortures unimaginable. So obviously this is hell, but um, it's comic books. And even though they're using like some pretty like obvious Judeo-Christian imagery, they don't actually want to say like, yes, in the Marvel universe, you know, heaven and hell are real. And I guess mm -hmm. the Abrahamic religions are the, are the right ones. Yep. But yeah, so it's so it's it's, it's store brand hell, and uh, we get the store brand Satan, who in Marvel is 
known as Mephisto. And Mephisto learns the Beyonders up to something that, that angers him. Meanwhile, in a St. Louis restaurant, the Beyonder and Dave are having a drink when Death Incarnate walks over to them. Death in Marvel is basically a skeleton with a robe on, uh, kind of your classic Grim Reaper, although she's uh, got this characterized as female. Beyonder pours her an enchanted drink, tells her that it'll be her last because he's getting rid of her. At that moment, Mephisto shows up with a horde of demons and tells Death his, uh, quote, lady love not to drink the cup and starts to kind of torment Dave. Beyonder protects Dave and basically teleports Mephisto and his demons away. Elsewhere, a bunch of powerful cosmic beings show up, led by Eternity, to beg Beyonder not to kill off Death. So these, the appearance of these cosmic entities is sort of like a big deal in the Marvel Universe, like how Death is personified by a skeleton lady. Eternity is like a big cosmic looking guy who represents all of existence. There's like a order and chaos that are actual beings that you can meet. So yeah, this is a, a big, this is a gigantic confluence of all the most powerful things in the universe. Yeah. So if you're on your, on their radar, you know, you're, you're kind of moving up in the scheme of things. It should be pretty exciting, but it's, you know, pretty, <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a pretty chill way to meet the, sentience of the universe i guess Mm -hmm. yeah so basically what they do is they drop by and they're like hey we're not (laughs) cool with this this uh you know getting rid of death thing dave responds and is like you eternal beings can't appreciate what it's like to be mortal and subject to death so he gives the cup to death who drinks it and dies um and mephisto reacts badly he's lost his love and um, cries out elsewhere owen reese is back in his apartment and sees that a flower that was dead is no longer wilted and he knows something's up and teleports over to talk to the beyonder and says to the beyonder uh with while he's holding up the flower look with all my power i can't even kill this rose and beyonder says what's wrong with that and owen responds Oh, nothing, except why should I bother watering the flowers in the garden anymore? Why should I even bother to eat? Ha, what is there to eat? Rocks? Why bother with anything? So he's kind of trying to make the argument for why we need death. And his point about watering flowers seems fairly legitimate. But overall, it seems like not a great argument. Like, the only reason we eat is to stay alive is kind of the premise of his underlying arguments. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's sort of like the captain America thing that he was, that he was getting at where like, there are some times like the characters in the story make points that are valid, but they Mm -hmm. like argue them in the worst, in the worst way possible because the way he's argued is, is basically, well, yeah, people don't die anymore and they can live, you know, their lives or whatever. But like, I can't water my flowers. Can't have a steak. Mm-hmm. It's he's he's got great advice when it comes to like relationships and so forth, but he's not he shouldn't be like philosophizing. Yeah, it is enough to convince Dave though. Uh, <laughs> Dave's Dave's a pretty simple dude. <laughs> yep, he's turned around instantly. He tells Beyonder he has to bring back Death, 
Beyonder says it's beyond even his power now, and the only thing he can do is, if there's some person willing to become death, he can turn that person into death and essentially sacrifice that individual. And so Beyonder turns Dave into death. Yeah, so we got to explore the exciting possibilities and implications of a world without death for like a whole two and a half pages there. <laughs> we saw the the, uh, the main impact is that flowers do not die. But... If, if you want to read more about this, there's a book by the, uh, the Nobel Prize winning author Jose Saramago called Death with Interruptions, which is exploring this possibility of a world without death. Um, it might be a little bit better than Secret, <laughs> Secret Wars 2. Yeah. I haven't read it, but that's just something to consider. Another unusual implication of this is that like, from now on in the Marvel Universe, is Death Dave? Yeah. Well, <laughs> and then like Mephisto refers to Death in the Feminine in the next issue, I believe. But like that's his skeleton that we see. So f- I, my takeaway is... That for anybody who's upset about Marvel swapping the genders of characters today, <laughs> just know, you know, if you're a dude, we got death back. Right. So. <laughs> maybe just maybe just nobody told Mephisto, like, <laughs> like mm-hmm. oh, by the way, that's Dave now. Yeah. Love, you know, love is blindness. So yeah. So Beyonder, to end the issue, he wrecks his headquarters, but he's still saying he's committed to being a champion of life at this point, but kind of wants to start over elsewhere. Issue 7 opens in hell, or the uh, dark infernal dimension again, so whatever realm you want to call that. Um, Mephisto is there with, as we talked about, sort of questionably reincarnated death. Um, He still describes her, or it, as my love. And I, I have to say that Marvel's death is quite the catch right <laughs> she's not even a cute goth girl like the dc vertigo death but yeah. she's got like mephisto and thanos both going gaga over her at various points yeah in the in joe kelly's uh, deadpool run in the 90s deadpool also like starts pining for death and actually death reciprocates with deadpool mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, mephisto is pretty peeved about the events of last issue and spies on him um, and the Beyonder is currently sitting on an abandoned island in the South Pacific, just sort of thinking it over. But Mephisto has a plan. He's got a giant machine or engine called Beyonder's Bane, which is a weapon uh, powered by a small portion of energy that Mephisto collected when the Beyonder destroyed death. Mephisto thinks this weapon might be able to kill the Beyonder, but he's not totally sure. Um, he's a little worried about this, which is unusual for basically Satan. Um, and the, yeah. the cosmic powers of the universe that we met last issue, like eternity and stuff, they are a hundred percent behind him in this plan. Um, eternity itself, the embodiment of all reality. He's like holding the trigger basically. <laughs> and I, I have to call, I have to call out this plan of Mephisto's because when death was killed, like he was in no no state to be collecting the energy of the beyonder he was like totally distraught <laughs> and surprised so i don't think it it's logical something that will be important once mephisto actually puts this plan in to destroy the beyonder with this beyonder's bane engine thing um the timing has to be exactly right within like seconds or the uh beyonder's bane will melt down and explode and all the power will be lost and so he's got one shot at this and it's a close shot uh, we cut to the Beyonder on his island, just sitting and thinking, contemplating. 
Uh, before long, someone who apparently lives on a neighboring island, who is a former sales executive named Ed Strunk, finds him. So much like in uh, Dave in the previous issue, he finds a new, you know, mortal pal. Uh, the guy asks Beyonder what he's up to, and the Beyonder says, thinking, and Ed Strunk thinks this is an incredible idea. Uh, we cut to Ben Grimm, the thing, who is filming a movie on a nearby island within, it says it's within like 115 miles. Uh, the director calls cut, and Ben Grimm pe- kicks back with his private pilot pal. Um, his private pilot pal has a shipment of Iron City beer, by the way, which is something the Beyonder asked for last issue. Ben says that this is a famous beer in Pittsburgh, which incidentally is Jim Shooter's hometown, so I guess this is a shout-out. It would be like if I wrote Fantastic yeah. Four and the thing loved to drink Spotted Cow. Uh, what we learn here, if we haven't been following the Thing's solo series, which we haven't, is what he's been up to lately. Um, after Secret Wars, the first Secret Wars, he stayed on the Beyonder's battle world for a while because he found he could change to and from his human form at will. By the time he returned to Earth, he was discovered that Johnny Storm, the Human Torch, had gotten into, his, into a relationship with his former girlfriend, Alicia Masters. I have to say that this is not actually Alicia Masters that he finds with Johnny Storm, but it would be a 10-minute digression to properly describe why it isn't. So look up Elijah the Laser the Laser Fist. You, I would say you won't be disappointed, but you will. Uh, anyway, Ben's been working as a pro wrestler, and in Pittsburgh again, he met the Beyonder in the ring. Uh, blaming him for all of his recent woes, he was tempted to kill him, but relented. But Ben is still thinking about it, apparently, which disturbs him. He calls himself an unrequited murderer. Uh, cut to a man called Mister Bitterhorn who is recruiting all of Marvel's major supervillains to attack the Beyonder at once. Mephisto tells us that when they shake Bitterhorn's hand, they receive a mystical brand. And if the people with the mystical brand come into contact with the Beyonder, it triggers the Beyonder's Bane weapon. So if this seems confusing, um, his plan is basically all the bad guys are teaming up at the Beyonder, and if one of them tags him, the Beyonder's destroyed. If it seems like... might not mind. Mephisto tells Death that the explosion will also kill Earth and trillions more in the universe. So, um, again, that's sort of positioned as like, hey, Death, here's a here's a gift. So, sort of a dry run for Thanos. Uh, back on Beyonder Island or whatever, a sort of cult or like New Age religion has sprung up around the Beyonder as about like, you know, just sit there and like, think, man. So, it's sort of a commentary, I guess, on spiritual fads of the 80s. Spider-Man incidentally thinks that he should try it out. He's watching this on TV. But, like, pretty much all Spider-Man does is think, you know? <laughs> like, when he's uh-huh. swinging around the city, like, he's always got, like, a, you know, narrative captions or thought balloons going. So, I think he's on his way. Mm-hmm. Owen, the Molecule Man, sees a report on this phenomenon and is worried that he's going to have to intervene at some point against the power of the Beyonder. Um, throughout this issue, he and Marsha discuss his growing concern and sort of indecisiveness over what he's supposed to be doing. Uh, the villains are poised to attack the Beyonder at this point, but Mephisto needs to keep, keep him busy because the Beyonder's thinking about taking off again. So he appears to the thing and appeals to a combination of his existing contempt for the Beyonder and appearing as like sort of hallucinations of like Ben's dad and his old coach and Sue Storm and Alicia Masters to sort of like berate him and get him enraged into going after the Beyonder. Ben also gets a power boost and swims to Beyonder's island. Mephisto, like, you know, gloats, as the devil does in this situation, and says it was too easy to dupe the thing and convince him to kill. I really have to agree here, because, like, I'm not... 
pointing out the flaws of your own writing in story <laughs> does not necessarily make it okay. Yeah. Uh, the thing lands on the island and threatens the Beyonder, but never actually gets to start a fight. Um, and this is not, again, it's not just like, I'm going to clobber ya. Here, he is explicitly here to murder the Beyonder. So this is provides this apparently really important six-panel distraction that, the, that Mephisto needed to put his plan into motion. And he has readied his Legion Accursed of all the world's supervillains. It's like everybody. It's like Doctor Doom, it's the Vulture, it's Craven and Kang. And, and they all attack the Beyonder, sort of swarming on him. And this sort of seems to rouse Ben into thinking clearer. And he wonders whether or not he should team up with the bad guys or fight them. The thing sees that the Beyonder is not going to fight back. And I guess this spurs his heroic nature to conquer Mephisto's spell or whatever's going on with him. It's also possible that, like, just like Captain America, his whole moral code is like, it's okay to fight somebody unless they're not fighting back. So we talked about um, last time how Jim Shooter had these sort of rules that he, storytelling rules that like to impose on writers that supposedly every moment, you know, every comic book that was published had to have a moment of like internal conflict that could be summarized as, I don't want to do this, but I must. So this is, I don't want to do this, but I must number one, which is like, I would like the Beyonder to get clobbered by all these bad guys, but I can't do it. So I have to fight. And for a good time, you should, you should go back and, and uh, read the issues and count up how many there are, make a chart <laughs> and then send it along to us. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's it's not a bad instinct to want to have some internal conflict in your in your story. It's just like it becomes very sort of like formulaic. Yeah, and it's not like he has like a like somebody will have like a whole like issue or a couple of pages like working this over. It's like one panel of like, oh, I really don't want to do this, but I gotta. Uh-huh. So it's a little a little uh, shallow, I guess. But yeah. anyway, this has spurred Ben to take on. Every supervillain that there is, which he can actually do because the power boost um, that Mephisto gave him is still in effect. Um, I guess I sort of feel like Mephisto should have seen that this would backfire somehow. That um, Also, this fight isn't very interesting or well choreographed. Um, like a lot of the fights in here, it's just sort of like random interchangeable characters fighting. There's no like interesting use mm-hmm. of powers or strategy. It's just like dogpile. Yeah. Yep. So the thing takes out everyone, except for the juggernaut. Mephisto decides to tear up the contract that he signed for Ben's soul so that Ben will lose his power boost and figures the more powerful juggernaut will wipe the floor of them and kill the Beyonder and blow up a third of the universe or whatever it is. Um, this is I don't want to, but I must number two, where <laughs> Mephisto was like, oh, I don't, I want to keep the thing's soul, but I also want to kill the Beyonder, so I must tear up the contract. Um, I will say that the, de- the devil is not really a sympathetic protagonist the way that the thing is, but so are you telling me you have no sympathy for the devil? <laughs> Damn it! Sorry. How did I? We did not. We did not. <laughs> we did not script that one. I just walked into it. That's <laughs> so. Yeah, Ben demonstrates his characteristic grit and determination, and doesn't give up. And he sort of fights with the juggernaut and sort of holds onto his foot um, just long enough for the Beyonder's bane to melt down, thus ruining Mephisto's whole plan. Um, death abandons him. So after the, all this exertion and sort of pointless hullabaloo, uh, Ben passes out. And Ben, the Beyonder reflects that his presence forced Ben to realize that his true nature is that of a hero, not that of a murderer. So he decides his new role is to help everyone in the universe find their true purpose in life. Um, I would quibble here that, like, 
the thing has always known what his true nature is like we don't often see a murderous thing outside of where the devil has specifically made him do it Mm -hmm. and also that the beyonders had this like just the other issue he empowered dave and like you know he's helped dave find like what he wanted to do with his life so i feel like we're sort of circling around what uh, emotional breakthroughs that the beyonder is supposed to be having yeah it's all kind of keeps going back to the same character arc over and over again where he kind of goes to find out something he learns about it he takes it too far and then people react badly and then he gets angry or lashes out and it's like we go through that cycle every issue it seems like (laughs) just summarizing the issues has been very very difficult that way like (laughs) did i already type this no it was this this (laughs) the same conclusion from last issue So in issue eight, uh, we start with the Beyonder venting to Owen Reese. Uh, so I'm going to assume the stuff about Beyonder teaching people their role didn't work out in the <laughs> tie-in issues because uh, it doesn't really, I think it's brought up briefly here, but that's it. Uh, Beyonder's angry again, and he's so angry that he wants to destroy all of existence. He lets loose a bolt of energy that goes out into space and hits some meteors and such. So I actually, so there's one panel where I think I interpreted it as the Earth's moon when I looked at it a second time. But I think that's because of like the underwhelming art that like I also thought it was a meteor at first. And then like, so like blowing up the moon should be a big deal, right? Mm-hmm. In any, in any story that you, that you do, but it's like one panel, like I think it's the moon or it's meteor, like just sort of gets a little cracked in this series, it's just like full of like things that happen. <laughs> they don't have any, yeah. don't have any consequence. Like the moon's blown up, and he constantly undoes everything. Yeah, and then I'm like, okay, he undid the stuff with the world leaders, but uh, did he undo this thing or not? I don't know. It's confusing at times. Mm. Uh, but Owen is working to try to calm him down. He uses his molecular control panels to undo that damage uh, that Beyonder just did. Marsha takes Owen aside and tells him to be careful dealing with the Beyonder and tells Owen how much she loves him. Owen says, don't worry. He was in therapy for a long time, uh, so he knows just what to do with the Beyonder. So we get the Beyonder actually lying down on the couch and his conversation with Owen basically turns into a therapy session. One of the revelations that we have here is that the um, the Beyonder's been talking about that he discovered our realm from his realm because some event happened that sort of pierced the window or veil between the realities or whatever. And it turns out that it was back in Fantastic 420, uh, the Molecule Man being created. So they are like meant to be linked from the moment of creation. Mm-hmm. Not that it's all that important, but it sort of explains why the Beyonder like hangs around this dude all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I kind of like the uh, one thing that one trend that will continue continue for future Marvel series is like the minor character who becomes integral to big events. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I kind of like Molecule Man playing that role here. Yeah, but this whole therapy idea doesn't really help the Beyonder. He's still angry. He says, "There's no such thing as fulfillment, not as long as anything exists besides me." Owen replies, of course fulfillment is possible. I'm fulfilled. So again, Owen mostly has good 
advice to offer in terms of relationships and so forth, but kind of telling your friend who's in a bad place mentally how happy you are is not usually the best move. Yeah, maybe in my experience. Maybe not. I do like the yeah. I like this whole sequence of like Owen's whole thing is that like I was I went to therapy. I'm probably qualified to talk down the most powerful being in the multiverse from his existential mm-hmm. cosmic despair. Yeah, he, he gives it a shot. Um, <laughs> the old college try. <laughs> uh, but Beyonder reacts badly. So Beyonder goes to try to cheer himself up in kind of his typical fashion. He stays in a fancy hotel. He drives a Ferrari. He mind controls an attractive server. He meets at a restaurant. Uh, so that she is going to spend the evening with him. Uh, thankfully, not in a sexual way in this case, because he just spends the evening lamenting his fate to her as they're on a hotel balcony. What's better than sex? Listening to the Beyonder whine and whine some more about <laughs> being able to cause earthquakes and then stopping them. So she somehow endures that, <laughs> as we must. Uh, he says to her, there is something I can't do. I can't find anything that means anything to me. And so she uh, gives him the idea, or I guess kind of reiterates the idea, that maybe why human life has meaning is because of mortality and its finite nature. Yeah, which I think I think we're already supposed to have learned from the fact that he can't kill that... <laughs> molecule man can't kill a rose, and ergo, you need death, but I don't know. Yeah, Beyonder needs repetition for it to <laughs> truly sink in. So Beyonder, his takeaway from this is that he should wipe out all of existence tomorrow if mortality is so dang important to humanity. And at this moment, the X-Men show up at the hotel to fight him, um, which is, we're increasingly increasingly going to get these, like, moments where superheroes just show up, or I guess it's already been happening, but, like, out of nowhere and attack him. And they have, and, they have no plan. He's like, get him! Beyonder shockingly easily defends himself from their attack and teleports away in a move we couldn't have seen coming. And Owen realizes that Beyonder is going to do something terrible. So he tries building a protective force dome over a section of the country that he and Marsha live in. Beyonder uh, sees the force dome, just laughs at it, and shatters it. There's really just one weird panel. Molecule Man stops the falling glass and sort of like, dissolves it to protect the people, you know, below the dome. And there's one guy who's like, maybe it was never there. That's it. It must have been some sort of mirage. It's a really weird detail to get hung up on, but like, why is that one dude just like really trying hard to convince himself that glass mm-hmm. did not exist? Yeah, again, I think we talked about this a little bit last time, but Living in the Marvel Universe, you must have to to try to uh, maintain your psychological integrity. You must <laughs> right. have to be in denial most of the time because like, like the end of the world is happening every other week and things are getting blinked out of existence and brought back. Um, it's like, how do you go on from day to day in, in that world? I can could, I could see that. It was, it's funny, like if you read like uh, Stan Lee written issues from the 60s, They'll like see some giant robot or whatever and go like, "Oh, this must be some kind of publicity stunt." And like, it's a it's a very odd like I, you know I haven't watched a whole lot of Mad Men, but I don't think like the '60s method of PR and advertisement was not like build a UFO and have it land <laughs> in like Manhattan and then come out and be like buy this new perfume. Yeah, but they assume it's possible. Yeah. Uh, I mean, have any advertisers try that? I. 
it, it's an idea that you should we should okay. probably pursue. That's that's how that's how we'll promote this podcast is we'll build a giant <laughs> robot for millions of millions of dollars and then send it out and I'll I'll get started on that. Yeah, you you you, you take point on that operation. So Owen and Marsha, meanwhile, are freaking out. Um, they're trying to figure out what to do next, where they can go to be safe. Uh, the arts, I mean, it's it's bad at this point. It's I'm trying to block it out, but. <laughs> At one point, Owen literally has like a Charlie Brown wrinkly line for a sad face. But anyway, so Beyonder, meanwhile, goes to the desert to talk to the Hulk in yet another scene that makes little sense without reading the crossovers. And he finds out that Hulk's Bruce Banner persona has been recently been separated from the Hulk. So the Hulk is now just this super powerful ball of rage with no humanity and that kind of makes beyonder reflect on himself and start to rethink his plan so next he goes to check in on spider-man and he wants peter parker to explain this whole mortality thing to him uh so again repetition spider-man basically says the same thing that beyonder's been told before about mortality and starts to rethink the whole total annihilation of all existence thing beyonder leaves he sees the new mutants he's like hey the new mutants um and they attack him Uh, i i do also like how every time he encounters a super being he he or somebody else has to like announce the name of the team or the the character yeah it's very very storytelling rules kind of kind of approach there so he spends maybe two panels fighting them and then shrugs them off Elsewhere, Owen is trying to figure out a way to hide him and Marsha, and they talk. he talks about going to the universe where the Beyonder was from originally. She says that he has to stay and fight so that, he, that uh, the Beyonder won't wipe out all existence. At the same time, we get some of her thought bubbles that reveal she's thinking about some plan she has to carry out, even if it hurts Owen. Uh, we don't yet know what that means. Uh, shortly after, Beyonder shows up at the apartment to apologize, but Owen immediately attacks him. And Beyonder is kind of impressed by this attack and how much power uh, Owen has, but then, of course, beats him back and is about to attack and presumably destroy both Owen and then Marsha afterwards. When Marsha throws herself at Beyonder's feet, says... Uh, tells him to kill Owen and not her, and that she'd do anything for the Beyonder, that she never loved Owen, and that she can make the Beyonder happy. At this point, Owen breaks down mentally and falls to the floor screaming. It's pretty brutal, actually. Like even with the sort of uh, kind of cardboard like writing and script and uh, art and stuff, it's he like doubles over in pain and just screams, and then. Um... The Beyonder literally kicks Molecule Man while while he is down. Yeah, this was one of the few moments that actually like resonated with me on an emotional character level a little bit. Out of out of out of, nine, out of eight issues so far, we felt we felt some feelings one time. That's mm-hmm. that's pretty good. So then Beyonder says to Owen, "Is this the price you pay for mortality? That something or someone can mean so much to you, so much that you totally collapse without her." Maybe I'll just stay as I am then. So this turn of events has made him look around the multiverse again uh, before he decides to wipe out everything. And so he's going to do some thinking. Meanwhile, 
we get a scene with Marsha and learn she faked everything to try to make Beyonder less jealous of the relationship and not hurt Owen. I feel like that's pretty uh, thinking a lot of yourself. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like, oh, this cosmic space being is like is really upset. It's like it's probably me. <laughs> yeah, uh, but it, you know, it seemed to work. So she's got better plans than Mephisto, apparently. <laughs> uh, Doesn't take much. No. He so the Beyonder goes to a peak in the Rocky Mountains to reflect some more. Uh, decides he is cool to go ahead with the whole destroy everything plan. At which point the Avengers, um, you know, it's like pick a random <laughs> superhero team or group. And uh, the Avengers show up and assault him. The Beyonder defends himself, captures Captain America, and reiterates his plan to wipe out all of existence. Yeah, and we won't see how Captain America gets out of this pickle, but um, it happens between issues. He gets away. It's not important or interesting. <laughs> Just okay. you know, just just a cliffhanger on the penultimate issue of your first ever line wide crossover. It's, mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to, you don't have to pay those things off. So issue nine, we're at the end here. <laughs> little, there's light at the tunnel. Mm-hmm. Uh, we open on the Beyonder in space, contemplating the Earth, determined to destroy not only the entire multiverse but also his memory of it, so he doesn't, I guess, miss it. Um. Does this seem somewhat unfair to you, considering that, like, this, again, infinite cosmic being shows up and he's decided that he's going to destroy all of existence? And this judgment is mostly based on the fact that, like, Earth is kind of screwed up in a lot of ways. Like, the Marvel Marvel Universe is a place where aliens are, like, proven to be real. and We know about them. Like, maybe Reed Richards or somebody should have been like, well, you know, let's check out the Skrull planet you know maybe yeah maybe, maybe they got some ideas to check out the Cree. you know she are pretty cool mm-hmm. yeah they're like bird people yeah that's that's pretty you should be a you know you should be a bird person beyond her it's awesome mm-hmm. yeah but yeah he should, they probably should spend some time on like another planet or two before making the decision yeah just hang out with the watchers or something right they got like a cool setup on like the dark side of the moon yeah marsha meanwhile is trying to call in the avengers but and, like, I'm not joking here. Uh, the operators almost hang up on her because she is stuffing donuts on her mouth so quickly that she cannot even talk. We haven't really mentioned it, but I think that Marsha is supposed to be somewhat overweight in, like, a comical fashion. Uh, Al Milgram, the artist, is sort of drawing everyone as, like, kind of stocky and the same body type. But I think there are a couple of mentions about her needing to burn off calories earlier in the series. And the Beyonder, I think, is mad and calls her a cow at one point. So right, I think right. I think I think that the joke that is being made here is that like the molecule is a little shrimpy guy, and like his girlfriend is this like this big curvy lady, so you know it's like you can say like you know at different times with like jokes and stuff. But I feel like even in 1985, this wouldn't have been like super funny that she's Homer Simpsoning these donuts so hard that yeah <laughs> can't even talk. But mm-hmm. um, eventually, she manages to swallow the donuts and is able to talk on the phone to the Avengers, who also call in the Fantastic Four. And just as they're all about to mobilize, they're teleported to Colorado. Pretty much everyone is here. The East and West Coast Avengers, the Fantastic Four, uh, Alpha Flight, which I have to remind everybody was a big deal at the time, uh, Spider-Man, the Hulk, Silver Surfer. Um, I think I saw everybody pretty much except Daredevil. It was a 
a different. It was like a simpler time in the Marvel universe where you could get pretty much everybody together, and it's like forty people. And probably some writers explored this, but I want some issue of, of a series where like a character is not teleported to one of these events <laughs> and is just kind of reflecting on why that's the case and getting really insecure about it. Like, yeah, Daredevil was like, "Why wasn't I there during the Infinity War or something?" It's yeah. I've, yeah, I feel like, yeah. Daredevil especially gets like left out a lot a lot of these things, and mm-hmm. no wonder he has self esteem issues. Yeah, hard road to hoe for Daredevil, but but we'll we'll have to we'll have to continue. Um, so the reason that everybody just showed up all at once is um, the X Men show up too, and it's revealed that Rachel Summers, the Phoenix, teleported everyone there for the big brawl. Um, she has some like power left over from the Beyonder, I guess, from a tie in issue that again we don't see, but. Um, they tell Marsha that this will be no place for her and teleport her home. Um, she's worried about her Oe, so she goes to check on him. She finds, and again, not not a joke here. She finds that his teddy bear is wrecked, and fears the worst of of Owen. Um, yeah, part of the mer- first major Marvel crossover event is fear that is inspired by this, uh, engendered by this teddy bear. Um, so she's fearing the worst, and she finds him slumped in, slumped in a chair and calls out his name. Uh, the Beyonder returns to his home and films sort of a video rant about what's on his mind. Um, so he's, you know, sort of a very early YouTuber. Mm-hmm. The uh, Basically, the, the themes of the entire series are summarized here, if you're not tired of hearing about them. It's the Beyonder... Okay, so it's A, the Beyonder comes from a place where he was everything. B, now that he knows that our multiverse exists, he knows incompleteness. C, mortal beings deal with incompleteness by following their desires... But D, the Beyonder is omnipotent and therefore doesn't have any limits and therefore doesn't have any desires. Um, Ergo, his latest plan is to try to become an ordinary mortal human, which he sort of did in early on in the series, but I guess this time it's for real. Uh, he whips up this giant machine that can convert his energy form into an actual human body. And it's not just like he becomes a human, it's like he is put into this machine... It's got all these, like, tubes and stuff on it, and, like, he becomes, like, a fetus and then grows up and he becomes, like, an adult man wearing white briefs, I guess. <laughs> but uh, he mentions that he could use a human woman to be born, but uh, he likes gadgets and jokes that this will be a labor-saving device. Yeah, know. I mean, that's a quality pun. Yeah. You gotta I give it to Beyonder on that one. Infinite cosmic power, and one time I'm like, okay, that's <laughs> that's good. Um, so he tests it on the New Mutants, who he's apparently vaporized between issues. Um, and they return to their original bodies and ages and clothes with uh, blank minds. Before uh, the Beander decides to go into this machine, he creates some kind of like a vessel, like a giant kind of light bulb that holds all his cosmic power in it so he can go back to being the Beander anytime that he wants. Sort of seems like it defeats the purpose of becoming mortal and accepting your limits, so you can decide if that's commentary on the Beyonder's Hamlet-like indecisiveness, or if it's just a problem with the plot and characterization. Uh, he zaps his essence into the machine, and he becomes a baby and grows into a man. Um, strangely, an orange-haired man, which I There's guess... There's no that, explanation for No, because no, it's, it's not, he's not turning into, into like Captain America's body again. He's turning into like a mm-hmm. new guy that we've never seen. So he's, you know, he becomes mortal. Um, once he is born, he's instantly horrified by the sensations of being alive and reclaims his power. So 
Attempt number one, not a success. Uh, we cut back to Marsha and Owen. He was just sleeping in the chair, so don't worry about him. He's done some thinking and has come to a moment of self-realization that the absolute devastation that he felt when Marsha left last issue means that he's been, uh, this relationship has been sort of dependent for him. And so uh, after she left, he's had to find the strength within to continue on without her. And now that, that she's back, he can love her when he says sort of for the first time, because now he knows that he doesn't need her. And this is kind of an interesting take like for this series mm-hmm. to draw a line between love that's dependent and love that's given freely or whatever you want to call that. Um, it could be very interesting to read a story about this nigh omnipotent molecule man getting into a dependent relationship and realizing it and then working through that. But um, I don't think this, I don't think that's what this story is. I mean, it was like sort of these domestic comedy hijinks and suburban satire. And like, he makes this decision off panel you know like i, I never got yeah. the sense that like we were seeing a dependent relationship it was like mm-hmm. oh they like to eat tv dinners and watch you know you know tv reruns and stuff and now it's like no actually this was unhealthy for me right but, right um i do not know anything about jim shooter's personal life um so this is not <laughs> i'm not saying anything here but i will say that when i read this type of thing in a comic book or a book or a tv show or a movie it makes me think that a writer, whoever it may be, is working out some sort of personal issue. Did you? Because mm-hmm. it really comes out of nowhere, and it's, it is like a very sort of singular idea. Yeah, I mean, he's. It, it reads to me a little bit like uh, certainly something that would have come up in therapy. So, uh, yeah, the molecule man is now self actualized. The struggle that he's been going through this entire series that we haven't been aware of is over and he decides that he needs to stop the beyonder himself speaking of whom the beyonder has decided to go back through the machine and become a baby and grow into an adult human form again this time he doesn't chicken out right away and he sort of plays with the idea of having limits he like runs around until he is tired and sweats and like that's sort of a fun novelty for him then mephisto shows up who's actually is sort of the villain of this series i didn't realize going in uh, he's determined to torture the Beyonder until he can sell his soul to Mephisto. And there's some pretty gross panels of Mephisto like spitting out maggots on his face. But the Beyonder is able to move past the maggots and the demons and the flames uh, that Mephisto is throwing at him and reclaims his power from the bulb. And then Mephisto leaves again because he's not, not having a good track record here. Yeah, I, w- I will say there are a few panels in this issue that actually seem pretty cool like i there's a kirby-esque panel of the baby going through the machine mm-hmm. um, earlier that looks really neat and and there's a close-up of mephisto that looks like an old pulp illustration yeah um, so it just gives you a sense of hey if Al milgram actually had time to you know draw this and for the anchors to do the work it would have been a lot better yeah i've i've read stuff that both of those guys have done and like it's you know some of like Al, Al Milgram is never going to be like a flashy like superstar kind of like image kind of like flashy artist, but like he draws nice pictures when he has you know <laughs> some time to do it. Yeah, yeah. The Molecule Man appears before the heroes, and he says that he's going to help them fight the Beyonder. The Beyonder observes. I guess it would be betrayal because they've been sort of pals, but it's given him an idea, and he makes adjustments to what he started calling his like Mama Machine or even just Mama, and some kind of 
odd Freudian twist. Um, the idea is that he will give himself a mortal form, but he will still have his nearly omnipotent power like the Molecule Man does. So he can die, but still pretty much can do anything else, I guess. Um, to distract the heroes while he's making these adjustments, he mentally manipulates the new mutants, who were sort of in zombie form earlier, to fight the assembled superheroes. And um, so if we get like a you know a big couple of page fight here, and like where it, actually the action is choreographed and it isn't just like everybody you know launching themselves at each other. Mm-hmm. But but no offense to the new mutants, but it's like you know it's the junior X Men like versus the adult X Men and the Avengers. And the Fantastic Four and Spider-Man and the Hulk and, you know, the Silver yeah. Surfer. So it's um, one of the biggest ba- battles, I think, like in the entire series that we mm-hmm. see. And it's, you know. Well, one one thing that this sequence brings up and that comes up throughout the series for me is the question of what is the limit of Beyonder's powers? It's like, couldn't he just teleport all the heroes away or like create a million clones of the New Mutants or something to fight them like why doesn't he just make them go away it's either like a lack of creativity on the you know on the writing or just it doesn't work for my for my story yeah they do that but yeah it is it is sort of just like it feels like oh we need a fight here here you could have you know grabbed all those super villains or whatever and put them in there but you yeah. know it's it's the new mutants no offense new mutants fans but uh the heroes stop the new mutants because of course they do and crash the Beyonder's pad. Uh, they have another battle that's, again, everybody just jump on the Beyonder. You all have various unique powers and things that you could use for strategy, but like instead I think we should all just jump on the Beyonder and see what happens. That will probably work mm-hmm. this time. Um, but the Molecule Man steps up and takes on the Beyonder one-on-one. It's The captions say, The two mightiest beings in all existence clash, and every creature on every planet in every dimension feels the multiversal tremors of their fury. And we get some interesting art here too, to be fair, about like sort of a there's like aliens reacting and like sort of weird cosmic effects that's happening mm-hmm. in this battle. Uh the Beyonder gets the upper hand though and releases some energy wave of some kind that threatens to destroy everything in its path. But the molecule man has mentally moved every living thing out of its path, so I don't know what the point of any of this is anymore. <laughs> Uh, like you said, it's like the, everything gets reversed or like everything like, oh yeah, he launched a solid beam of death out, but like I'm, you know, move vibrated everything out of sync or whatever. So it'll be fine. Mm-hmm. <sighs> it's, it's, it is, it is really hard. Like when I was writing the summaries for this, it is just really hard writing this one in particular. Cause it's just like, and then this happens and then this happens and then this happens and then this happens. Yep. And it all doesn't matter in the end. Pretty yep. much, Cause it gets, most of it gets reversed. Spoilers, but. Um, so, um, this explosion or this, uh, beam of death or whatever does have the effect of, I guess, destroying the Rocky mountains, but the heroes survive and the Beander gets back into his machine. Um, the heroes find the Beander still in like fetus or baby form in the machine. Uh, molecule man wants to kill the baby and attacks the machine, but it apparently has a nuclear bomb rigged to protect it. So we get another big explosion but the Invisible Woman and Phoenix and Silver Surfer have all tag-teamed to create a barrier, so it's okay. So we had another big explosion of fury and death, but don't worry about it. It's mm-hmm. so demoralized at this point, summarizing the issue. <laughs> it's okay, uh, you're almost there. <laughs> Let's power through. The heroes are divided, 
um, now that they're okay, um, it's taken a lot out of Sue, and so like some characters take this pretty personally. Um, the heroes are divided about killing the Beyonder baby. Uh, Reed Richards doesn't want to. Um, the Scarlet Witch doesn't want to because she's having a baby, so she has sympathy for other babies. Mm-hmm. So they all sort of launch themselves at the Beyonder mama machine. Reed Richards tries to hold a bunch of them back by sort of like ballooning up or like stretching out into this huge barrier. Um, Spider-Man is attacking the, the Reed Richards barrier. So like, I guess it suggests that Spider-Man is at least somewhat on board of like, let's destroy the baby in this machine idea. In the end, the choice is taken out of their hands because the molecule man zaps the machine. The cosmic baby screams and lets out an enormous pulse of white energy that envelops the entire world and then subsides and vanishes. They check the machine, and again, I'm not like making this up. There's a panel of the Silver Surfer with a sad look on his face, holding the Beyonder baby, yelling, Dead! The baby's dead! And the sheer wrongness of this whole scene makes me laugh every time. Because <laughs> it's just, it's trying for like pathos, and it's just this, you know, the naked Silver Man going, The baby is dead. Yeah, the, this being like the the climax of the whole series is not something I could have predicted. I will put it that way. Yeah. I'll give it's... It credit for that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Definitely a, not where I saw this going, but yeah. So Captain America tells the molecule man, uh, well, I wish there had been another way, but it looks like you saved the world. So good job. And that's pretty much how it ends. The whole nine issue, 30 issue thing ends with the Beyonder turns into a baby and now the baby's dead. Let's go home. I I picture this sort of like a very Midwestern goodbye where like you you slap your pants and you're like, well, I guess I better be, I guess I better be getting, getting going now. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been great. But yeah, so everybody just leaves and this is where it would end. Except for a one-page epilogue where it turns out that the Beyonder energy, um, that that big white flash of whatever it was, um, created a big bang in another universe, and life has evolved there. And we are told, and we see like some sort of cavemen-looking things, and we are told that, thus, within the new universe begat by the Beyonder's power, mortal beings live their finite lives, giving meaning to the infinity in which they dwell. Thus, finally is the desire of the one from beyond fulfilled. So it's a happy ending? <laughs> yeah, and I guess we kind of learn the meaning of life from by the end of this. But we, we already learned that meaning of life like several issues ago. Yeah, it but was, I forgot. Yeah, I, I guess we, it should have been... We could have stopped reading the first time somebody said, well, actually, people being... having Life being limited is what gives life purpose. Um, so yeah, I guess if you've listened, if you've listened this far, um, now, you know, yep, you're welcome. (laughs) Let's move on to our, our sort of final thoughts on the series. Um, you can probably tell where this is going. Um, first off, I, I, I feel like I have sort of the same overall problem with this that I have with like warriors of plasm where I'm wondering like, who is this for? Because you have these, like, on the one hand, you have these, like, juvenile, like, fish-out-of-water gags and some, like, you know, gentle satire about 80s consumer culture and fashion. 
And then, like, also there's multiple attempted suicides and there's drugs and it ends with a villain as a dead baby. <laughs> like, it's, 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 it's like, if you want a superhero thing, right, it's going to be so boring because they spend so much of their time not fighting and just hanging out in Molecule Man's living room. But if you want, like, a serious inquiry into, you know, philosophy, it's, you're going to, what, what, what is Captain America doing here? <laughs> right, right. It's it's very ambitious, which is on one level commendable because, you know, a shooter could have just taken the easy way out and have Secret Wars 2 is the Beyonder comes to Earth and attacks the Earth and they fight him for nine or 12 issues or whatever. And that's that. Yeah, it, it sort of feels like the shooter took the criticism of the first Secret Wars, which is like it's all kind of pandering to the fans and all fight scenes. And it was like, in order to write a critically acclaimed book i'm going to give the fans none of what they want <laughs> right the sequel Just yeah do the complete opposite <laughs> but um i th- i think and tell me if you disagree with it that i think it sort of fails at everything that it's attempting to do yeah yeah uh i do i agree with you i like the the ambition but the execution Oof. So, so let's 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 uh, so let's let's dissect like what I think that the intent was here because this this series is trying to do a lot of different things at the same time, whereas Secret Wars one was just like show the fights and sell the toys. This one has like a mm-hmm. couple of different ambitions. So ambition one is this is going to be a big epic superhero crossover. Um, Secret Wars was pretty much self-contained, but it had some things that like happened as a result of it in the main books. But this is the first time that Marvel actually said. Here's a main book. This is going to cross over into Spider-Man and then X-Men, and then it's going to be the next issue of the book, and then it's going to be New Mutants and Captain America. This had this had not been done like ever before, so it's it makes like this is a new idea, and like as you would expect, there is some stumbling figuring out how to actually do that. But it is really mm-hmm. hard to read the main series on its own, as we have done, and there's yeah. almost like no if if you have a, a series called Secret Wars two. And you're looking for superhero action. There's almost none of it in the main series. It's all happening in the tie-in books. And right. the, yeah, and the and like the idea in those tie-in books, like the idea, I think there is sort of cool, where the Beyonder and we haven't really talked about this because we haven't seen a lot of it. But what happens in these issues is that the Beyonder shows up in various books and offers and tempts the heroes with things, and they decide how they want to deal with that. There's a Daredevil story where he shows up. He's looking for a lawyer and he gives Matt Murdock his sight back and Matt tells him to take it away on some kind of principle. And they, they actually have like a discussion about what his, you know, what his blindness means to him. Yeah. I, I, and you mentioned last issue or last episode, the, the Spider-Man crossover where he takes the gold notebook out of the building that's been turned to gold and has to decide whether to, to sell it or yeah. return it. Um, so I, it did, I think, lead to at least. I only know the Spider-Man tie-ins, but some interesting stories and dilemmas. Uh, and I, I almost, I'm curious about the experience of reading all the tie-ins. Whether that would make for a more satisfying central experience, uh, just going through more of these things with the Beyonder. Yeah, it, it um, probably would. And like, also reading this over like nine months instead of you know, a week or two mm-hmm. probably would have helped. Yeah. I mean, maybe that would have made it seem like the Beyonder's not just kind of going over the same plot points every 
five minutes because it would have been stretched out more too. Yeah. So like, and, and so, you know, on the one hand you can say it is unfair that we read this book in this format in maybe a way that it wasn't necessarily intended to, but not everybody bought all 30 tie-ins and like, this is a, like, this is a book on its own that you can get, you know, on Amazon or on Comixology and it's sold as like, here's Secret Wars 2, 1 through 9. And I think like modern Mm -hmm. books do this a little bit better, but it was a new idea at the time. Yeah, yeah. But um, so even though like the cross the crossover things were sort of cool, um, because it was early and like not everybody was used to this, like a lot of writers didn't get into it. There was confusion about like who the Beyonder was exactly and how he acts. He acts very differently in like other issues. Like generally, they play him as sort of this you know very powerful and imposing cosmic force, and not the guy who's like you know really loves his Cuisinart and. <laughs> is moping around mm-hmm. uh, that daredevil issue that I mentioned shooter had to actually rewrite it because Denny O'Neill, they had an agreement about how to do it. And he said that Denny O'Neill didn't really get into it as much as he should have. Um, John Byrne seemed to regard the beyonder as kind of a nuisance um, when he had to do the, the secret wars two tie-ins. Um, he had to write, rewrite one of my least favorite fantastic four issues ever to sort of shoehorn in the beyonder, which makes like a bad issue worse. Um, yeah, yeah. Something, actually, this is something maybe we could, we'll tackle in the future. It's the one where the kid loves the Human Torch, and so he sets himself on fire. It's really, <laughs> it's yeah, it's it's divisive. But yeah, then in another one, like another issue of Fantastic Four, he brings in the the Beyonder, but he doesn't really do the whole like what do you desire thing. It's basically to fix a continuity mistake caused by the first Secret Wars. So it's res, you know results may vary. <laughs> But, um, so yeah, so like as, so like as a, as that, as a superhero thing, it doesn't really succeed. Mm-hmm. The second thing that it's trying to do is sort of do like a satire of 80s culture and like what would happen if this, you know, naive cosmic being came to the 80s, right? Yeah. But it's not a very trenchant look at the 80s. It's like people love gadgets. Suburbanites eat dinner in front of the TV. And I'm not always sure in the dialogue whether people are talking weird because they're just being depicted as rubes in the satire or if it's just, like, the comic book dialogue that Shooter is using. Because, like, the Beyonder is, you know, cosmic guy, and he says things like rats when something doesn't go his way, you know? Yeah, he, like, quickly gets the hang of Earth slang and, like, is dropping idioms all the time it's it's sort of a bad sign i guess when i like i looked at the issue and was like how much of this bad dialogue is intentional because it could be mm-hmm. but maybe it isn't if jim shooter had written about it on his blog maybe i would find out <laughs> <laughs> um so the third thing that it's trying to do and the most ambitious thing that it's trying to do is be a serious inquiry into the meaning of human existence um, which is a big ask of you know a nine issue series um, so again, that's ambitious and like really interesting that like he wanted to take this sort of platform because he knew that this was, this was going to sell no matter what. And so he wanted to take this platform to like right. really make you think, you know, but mm-hmm. it's not insightful. <laughs> it's just the beyonder wandering around moping, asking sort of like intro level philosophical questions that, you know, it's not like nobody's ever asked about what does death mean? Like we talk about this all the right. time. Um, and there's no really resolution to it other than there's, you know, either the only points that I can take away from this is that the 
meaning of life is that it ends, and so it's what you do with your time, I guess. And that there's no point to being God unless you create, which is sort of like the subtext of the Beyonder, because he does all this stuff, and like nothing, having all this power doesn't really mean anything until he accidentally creates this universe and this world where life exists. So is that like maybe a metaphor for the creative process? If we're hmm. reading this at all autobiographically, I don't know. You know? Okay. The only really interesting thing from like a philosophical or deeper meaning perspective is that idea about being in a dependent relationship and it not being love unless it's something you can choose and not need. But it's pretty minor, and I didn't even know that was a theme until <laughs> the one page it appears on. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that um, deserves credit for at least tackling these big questions in a in you know, a format that is p- probably read by a lot of younger readers at that point who wouldn't be really exposed to some of f- philosophical discussions. And maybe um, that's maybe that, that maybe that's my problem being like you know a, not being a child in 1985 and having my these int- ideas introduced. I guess. But I mean that's that's both of our problem with, with reading all of these issues. <laughs> yes, being thirty somethings in <laughs> 2019. Terrible burden um, of age. Yeah, um, yeah, and you. Um, we talked a little bit about how, just from a character development standpoint, it keeps kind of cycling back to the same beats over and over again. So uh, it doesn't really feel like the Beyonders developing at all. So even that at that level doesn't hold up. So do you have any uh, any final thoughts on Secret Wars 2 before we probably never return to Secret Wars 2 again in our lives? Um, This war should have stayed a secret. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> uh. <laughs> uh, so... Back to you, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, you may be wondering, did the Beyonder, perhaps the most powerful being the Marvel Universe has ever seen, ever return? Yes. But the uh, Secret Wars 2 and the Beyonders specifically was so like profoundly unpopular that um, they have basically been retconned away multiple times in multiple ways over the years. Um, the two major ones that I think were immediately after Jim Shooter was fired from Marvel for whosever reasons you want to count that on. Um, they had Steve Englehart, right, who was writing Fantastic Four at the time, write a Secret Wars 3 story where we find out that, and it gets complicated and I won't bore you because I don't even totally get what they were going for, but basically Molecule Man's power and the Beyonder are sort of half of like a cosmic cube and the cosmic cube is like a thing that like re- restructures reality and stuff like that. So like when they, the two of them come together, they form a mature cosmic cube and that's like their power so they weren't the beyond it was never really this guy it was just a mass of power or something um so that's one way to do it yeah. <laughs> to say that mm-hmm. um brian michael bendis did it a different way <laughs> in uh the series the illuminati which was about sort of like the idea that there was all this stuff behind the scenes in marvel history where a lot of the main sort of brain trust of the marvel heroes got together and decided what to do about things um, that suggested that the Beyonder was a mutant in human. And so you, the idea is that you have like powers on top of powers and that makes you really 
immensely powerful and like the whole most of the events of Secret Wars 2 are like an illusion designed to entrap him or something so um, no matter which way you want to play it um, what we see in Secret Wars 2 is revealed to be a deliberate misleading in one way or another yeah so not much news on the Beyonder front until around 2015 where uh, at this point it was revealed that he was part of a race of beings called the Beyonders and they played a role in the 2015 series entitled Secret Wars Um, So what happened was the Beyonders killed off several major Marvel cosmic beings, including the Living Tribunal, Um, and this was causing entire universes to collide with one another throughout the multiverse. So spoilers for that series, some superheroes in Doctor Doom go to confront the Beyonders. Doctor Doom uses some kind of bomb made out of energy from the Owen Reese's of various alternate universes to kill the beyonders and then he takes over as god emperor doom and rules over a world made of fragments of the multiverse called battle world as a callback to secret wars one um so that is your latest beyonder (laughs) news beyonder updates stay tuned Mm -hmm. but putting secret wars behind us mercifully (laughs) We have a couple of recommendations if you're uh, looking for something else. Um, usually I try to tie mine in to the the theme. We both try to have some kind of connection. Uh, but this time I haven't really read a lot of comics lately, so I just grabbed a random trade paperback off, off my shelves. And so I am going with Astro City Volumes 1 and 2, written by Kurt Busiek. With art by Brett Anderson, Alex Ross, Richard Starkings, John Bushel, and Steve Buccellato. Uh, published by Homage Comics, started in, uh, sorry, Homage Comics, starting in 1995. I always forget whether the H is silent. The, so this series, it's been described as sort of a response to the grim and gritty deconstruction of superheroes that was happening in the... 80s and 90s and kind of an attempt to restore the wonder fun and optimism of comics um, each volume is structured in an interesting way at least I've, i think i've read the first three um in that it's more of a comics anthology meaning you don't follow just one set of characters throughout it's uh from issue to issue or volume to volume it'll focus on different characters in this one city the other interesting element is something that Busiek carries over from his work on the title Marvels in the 1990s, which is the comics is often told from the perspective of characters comic stories typically don't focus on. So you've got the average citizen watching these superheroes. Uh, it'll focus on them or, uh, or a petty criminal who is running away from a street-level vigilante or the sidekick of a famous hero. Um, And so because you have this focus on these interesting characters, you get these perspectives, and it feels kind of personal and effective even as it's succeeding at the other stuff in terms of bringing back that sense of wonder and optimism and so on. Artwork is gorgeous. The character designs are fantastic. And uh, I need to continue reading 
uh, more of it since I'm only a few volumes in, but um, definitely check it out. Yeah, I agree. I, I also need to get more Astro City because that's something I have picked up over the years, and I think it's it's actually sort of underappreciated, like because it's been going for so long. I think, mm-hmm. but um, so I have something that's a little perhaps less um, cerebral and insightful, but um, because we've been talking about Jim Shooter for a while, uh, I mm-hmm. didn't want to be a big meanie, so I found some comics that Jim Shooter has written that I do really enjoy, and this is the um, I think it's sort of infer- informally called the Nefaria Trilogy from Avengers number 164 to 166 back in uh, good old 1977. And um, you might remember the villain Count Nefaria from the first Chris Claremont arc of the all-new, all-different X-Men in the 70s. That was the first mission that the X-Men go on to fight Count Nefaria, and he ends up taking down... um, It causes the death of Thunderbird, one of the new X-Men. So in this one, he comes back and uses various comic book science to bestow himself with phenomenal superpowers including strength speed and eye beams so this arc is sort of becoming like what if the avengers fought superman and um unlike the sort of random dogpile fights here um all the action is really well choreographed and they give a lot of thought to um each hero using their powers in unique ways to fight nefaria um john byrne does the art and he does a really great job and he's also probably put a lot of thought into how you portray different things and different ways of basically fighting Superman. So part of it is just like that, like it's, it is like just fight scenes pretty much the whole, especially those last two issues is pretty much just pure wall to wall fight scenes, but it's like really interesting and thoughtful. And there's also some cool character bits throughout because, um, Thor shows up sort of in the middle of the fight to lend a hand. And the whole rest of the team is annoyed that he always seems to be showing up the last minute like this, like after a big long fight, Mm -hmm. it's like, Oh, Thor will come here and clean everything up. Um, the newly resurrected Wonder Man is possibly stronger than any other Avenger, but he's terrified of dying again, so he's sort of wrestling with self-confidence. Um, Iron Man is the team leader at this point, but is sort of doubtful about whether he's up for it. And Captain America is sort of berating him for like not doing a great, very good job either. Um, and sort of like the conceptual hook is that Nefaria becomes you know almost all-powerful, but then um, realizes that he's middle-aged and that he sort of just got this power now and and he's declining in his life. So there's that whole sort of thing about you have unlimited power, but you don't have unlimited time. There's, you know, it's it's told in a pretty bombastic style, but it's um, it's a bombastic story. So I think it works a little better than Warriors of Plasm, which is trying to tell a more nuanced story or the Beyonder Struggles and Secret Wars 2. Um, in general, I think it works maybe better to have like a big superhero thing that you inject elements of like insight and philosophy into rather than like having a philosophical point and trying to shoehorn Wolverine in there or something. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so I, I write, you know, Jim shooter, you're all right, but never, absolutely never do secret wars two again. (laughs) So, uh, that will be all for us for today and for secret wars Two, follow us on twitter and instagram at, at defensible inc um, we're on facebook thank you for listening we're a young podcast and everybody who's listening um means a lot to us absolutely yeah and for uh, indefensible inc i have been justin zyduck i've been ryan mcclure and have a good night